You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. We've been in a series, as most of you know, here uh, for some weeks now. We've been calling Gospel Culture. And we've been looking at how gospel truths were actually not intended just simply to be truths that we nod our heads in agreement to, but actually truths that shape the way we behave and shape the culture of the church, the community of Jesus followers. We believe the gospel isn't something just to be heard and believed, but the gospel is something to be believed and practiced. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, and, and we're going to look today into Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. We're going to read it in a few minutes, so you can get ready if you, if you like. It's going to be up on the screen in the ESV translation. Um, but this, uh, this whole idea of the gospel being something that we actually can embody, that gospel truth is something we express in how we live our lives, is in many ways what Christmas is about. Is in many ways what we celebrate at Christmas. Christmas is the celebration of when God stepped in and clothed himself in humanity. We call that the incarnation. The Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The wisdom of God, the goodness of God, the truth of God, the beauty of God clothed in humanity and moving among us. Showing us this truth. That is when you may hear me use the word incarnation throughout this morning. I can't, I can't promise you it won't come out in these, these like theological terms. I like to define them and that's what it's about. It's about the truth of who God is. The reality of his word and his glory clothed in human form to be seen, to be known. And the amazing thing about that truth is, is the recognition that the divine and human nature can actually unite. That, that the divine beauty, the goodness, the glory of God can actually be expressed through a human life. Yes, through Jesus' life, but through yours as well. Jesus is often referred to as the first among many. And no, not in your own strength. Not all on your own. It is this union between the divine and between the human nature. Jesus even said of himself, I can of myself do nothing. There was this relationship to the Father by the Spirit that he lived in, that we're invited into. This union between God and man. You with me? So here we go. We're going to read a scripture that is, is really, in so many ways, what Christmas is about. Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. Did you guys catch that? This is very counterculture. Would you agree? Thanks, Michael. Very decisive, yes. Uh, I read it again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here's, here's where the switch happens. We've been talking about how the gospel calls us to a certain way of living and behavior, but it does so through pointing out to us truths about God. Gospel doctrine, if you will. And this is one of the most profound, deep, lofty descriptions of Jesus that we're about to read. So he said all this stuff, right, about our behavior, not operating from selfish ambition or conceit, right? Looking out for the interests of others, considering others more significant than ourselves. Why? He says this, describing Jesus, right? I'll start again, beginning of verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was, he was, he was God. He was in the form of God. He had divine nature, but yet he, he didn't consider that something to cling to, to hold to. He was able to let go of his status, if you will, his high, lofty place. And it goes on, and it says in verse 7, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So do you see the progression? The form of God. He's up here, seated in heavenly places with this divine nature. And it says he didn't see it as something to be grasped, something to cling to, but he emptied himself. He came in the likeness of humanity, was found in the form of a man, and he, and he represented, he showed up how? As a servant. In obedience. You, you see the, you know, the, from up here, there's this constant downward trajectory even to the point of death. And then Paul points out, not any death. Death on a cross. Brutal death, a shameful death. And after that, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see it end up in this place essentially like seated back on the throne. But the path was, was downward before God exalted him. And this profound doctrine of the incarnation, of, of God clothing himself in humanity and showing up in this way, 
is to produce a profound culture among the community of Jesus' followers. One that we read described in the first portion there, right? Can maybe summarize in our own words some of what Paul said. Like, don't see yourself as separate from the whole, but as a part of it, right? He really, he really stresses this idea of being one with one another, this whole unity message we've talked about for weeks, right? Then he says, value others above yourself. That is, that is, that is a profound call. Value others above yourself. And I would say this, when he says, you know, don't look out just for your interests, but also those of others. Make what matters to others matter to you. Make what matters to others matter to you. Why? Because this is exactly how God related to us in the person of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find it mind-boggling, mind-bending to think that the king of the universe, the ultimate, the one who after he rose from the dead could say without question, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That one, that God, when he chose to show himself to humanity, did so in the humble form of a servant, through dying a death that he didn't deserve through making the needs of others important to himself, by identifying so much with us, even to the point of death. The incarnation is about identification. It's about God saying, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're experiencing. Think back to Stacy's message last week. How many of you heard Stacy's message last week? And he talked to us about radiating hope in times of grief. And, and we ended on this note about learning to lament well. And some came up and shared laments with us. And, and there is, in that, there's a call to identify with the pain of others around you. There's an invitation. Very much like what Jesus did. See, God didn't choose just to tell us how to live. This is, this is very much what the incarnation is about. God not choosing simply to send us a text message or a letter in the mail telling us the way that leads to life, but rather coming and being with us in our struggle, in our pain, in the human condition, and showing us the way that leads to life embodiment of the gospel matters so much. That's why I think, like, I was really struck as we ended worship today, how I felt drawn to my knees, and when I opened my eyes, I saw other people on their knees. Or Charlotte urging us, do something with your body. You know, whether that's raise your hands, whether, whether it's look up, whether it's look down, whether it's get a tissue and wipe the tears away, I don't know, whatever, whatever it might be. But there's something really profound about embodying the truth. That when we get on our knees, when we raise our hands, these simple things, when we sing a song, even though maybe we don't feel like singing, or when we give a gift and stretch our generosity muscles, whatever it may be, we are embodying. We're showing the gospel. 
But we got to be able to start with this place like Jesus where, where he moves in. He enters into the human condition, the God of the universe, to show us the way. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I, it struck me, and I, I had this picture, and imagine with me, like, you've got, a, you've got a deep gorge, let's just say 100 feet deep and a couple hundred feet across, and below there's a raging river, and on one side you've got a forest fire and, and people trapped with no way across, and on the other side it's untouched by the fire, the fire can't get to it. It's lush, it's beautiful, it's where you want to be. Maybe you're on the side without the forest fire. And you see, and you know that like a mile down river, there's a bridge to go across. And you send a text message. I hope they get it. I hope they check their phones. You know, like, here you go. If you go a mile south, you'll find a bridge. You know, I hope they get it. No, you run. A mile down river, you cross the bridge, you run a mile back up river, and you go this way over here. You go to them, and you show them the way. You know what I'm saying? Telsey can attest to that maybe sometimes I don't do this very well. (laughs) This week, I'm just thinking about this conversation Telsey and I had this week where she was expressing, you know, some of the struggle that she's going through, which she shared with us last week. And I don't remember specifically exactly what it was, but my response to her was, well, just don't. <laughs> she's like, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, 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 that really helped me. You know, <laughs> like, like, for me, I'm just like, it's just simple. Just don't, just don't do that. <laughs> you know? And she's just like, yeah, no, that didn't help. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have so much to learn. I've been married a long time, and I'm still figuring this thing out. <laughs> uh, Jesus came. He struggled with us. He suffered with us. He showed us the way that leads to life, and it was not a way marked by selfish ambition. It was a way marked by emptying himself, making what mattered to others matter to him. I've been struck lately by this rap artist that my son introduced me to who I cannot recommend, okay? <laughs> I told you this when I talked about Dave Chappelle a few weeks ago. And the, the, but I have a thing. I like to engage with what's going on in pop culture. I like to, I like to step into it. I like to hear it. I like to, to, to catch what people are feeding on. And understand what's happening in culture. And, and I listen and there's times, there's moments where in the midst of all of the, the mess of it and the bad advice and the poor influence and all that sort of stuff that I hear the gospel. And I go, oh, there's something there. 
And, and, and this artist, looking across the crowd, probably most of you have no clue of, named Kid Cudi, okay? Uh, he, he, I, watched, I watched a documentary about him that was on Amazon Prime, and it, it's basically his story. And this guy is, like, considered by all these other rappers to have, like, changed the game. And the way he did so was he, one, broke out of the mold, creativity, and with his sound, he's extremely talented, and production's amazing, and all sorts of stuff. But, uh, but the way he really broke out of the mold was he didn't show up with his chest out and talking about money or his, you know, his guns or all that sort of old stuff that was associated with rap. He came up talking about his feelings. Talking about his wrestle with depression and pain and the loss of his dad when he was a teenager and watching his mom struggle to try and get Christmas gifts for them. And, and he just, he talks and talks so openly and vulnerably and his songs take you through this journey of the heart and like, and, and trust me, it's not pretty and it's got explicit lyric signs on the, on the front, okay? So be warned if you decide to check it out like I did, but... Um, but there's a, there's a huge, huge fan base, even within, even within the stars. Like, there's all these rappers, and people are like, man, Cuddy changed it. He, he totally opened up this whole new realm. And there's this whole group of kids that you hear saying, Kid Cuddy saved my life. And I'm listening to these reports, and I'm like, whoa. You know, this is, this is, this is intense the type of statements you're hearing. And what these kids are saying is like, because this guy said what I was feeling that nobody else was saying, I felt like I wasn't alone. And I, and I felt like somebody got me. And that, that, that maybe I could live another day. Like, like stories of people not taking their lives because of hearing what he had to say. And, and what I get saddened by when I hear it is that he doesn't lead them all the way to the other side of the gorge. He doesn't, he doesn't bring them to Jesus and to the true freedom. But there's something just simply in that step of saying, I know how you're feeling. I get it. Let me tell you about it. That causes these people to feel not alone. And if we can, if we can start there, we actually get then the privilege and the honor, if you will, to lead further to Jesus. The actual way out, right? Like the, the thing we read about Jesus didn't end with the statement, and he died on a cross. Paul carries on. And he rose up and he was exalted to the highest place in the heavens, seated with the Father. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is victory. There is hope. There's breakthrough, but it's going through, right? And there's something about when we step in and we go through together with others, when we hear where they're at, when we listen, we identify, we actually get the opportunity to lead to the bridge. How, how many of you who were here last week or listened online were impacted when, when Tim and Telsey and Shirley came up and shared their laments after the message? I was, 
I was sitting here like just, I was pumped on the message Stacy brought. Like I was so resonating. I'd been thinking on some of those thoughts a week before I told them and so grateful for the message he brought. But then when these guys came up and they started to share, I had this experience where Tim began to share his lament. And I realized as I was listening to it, still like struck by it, I realized that I was sitting there just kind of taking it in as information, like I often do. And I felt this invitation from the Lord. Feel what he's feeling. And so I started to open up my heart a little into a different posture and be like, oh my gosh, like I feel the pain of this man. And then my wife got up afterwards, and that wasn't hard to, like, open my heart to. And I just lost it, and I started crying, and my mask was soaked by the end of it. And, like, but I felt this invitation from the Lord. Don't just observe. Move in. Feel what they're feeling. The gospel... Christmas invites us to make what matters to others matter to us. You know, a few scriptures come to mind. Paul said these words in Romans 12, 15. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes people are rejoicing and we don't rejoice with them. We get jealous. Sometimes people mourn and we don't mourn with them. We judge and we go, come on, like... We got hope in Jesus, you know, and they need us to mourn with them. Well, I've been really struck by this one recently, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is a, this is a gospel culture teaching all in itself. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach two sermons, but here we go. This is Paul urging the Corinthians to get their their gift of money ready that they said that they want to give to help the poor in Jerusalem. And in preparing them and getting them ready, he says this. Remember, gospel culture, gospel truth, creating gospel culture. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I don't read that again because I jumbled it up. It's worth reading again. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, for, see I'm messing up again. I wish it was on the screen. Sorry, I should have put that in there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is what we just read about in Philippians. He put aside his wealth and entered into our poverty that through his poverty we might become rich. I'm going to say this. We, we took in, Kelly and I, and a group of other pastors from the city, um, a few weeks ago, we had Food for the Hungry come and do some training with us all around how we end poverty. How do we end poverty together, I think, was the question they opened with. And one of the most profound things that hit me as we went through this content and this material is them essentially driving home the point that the root problem of poverty is not lack of material goods and money. 
But the root problem of poverty is a relational breakdown. It's about making what matters to others matter to us. Many who have tried to enter into solving poverty have seen and experienced that you can throw money and material goods at it and it doesn't seem to fix anything because our world's broken, people are broken. And what we need is we need the the one who holds it all together, Jesus himself, to come and put us back together. But that happens through relationships. That happens through people who have been healed by Jesus going and sharing what what he's done in their life. It's, It's a relational problem more than anything else. If you read through that whole section in 2 Corinthians 8 9, you're going to see this whole thing where he's calling them to, to, to share their load together. You know, when you've got a lot, you can help them when they don't have much. And then when they've got a lot, they can help you when you don't have that much. And it was very much a part of the culture of the early church. Just to make this part really practical, I'll just say, like, think about this. Ask yourself the question, how much do I give? Talking about money. We can talk about time. We can talk about energy. We can talk about all that as well. But when it comes to money, I'll just say this. We'll go into maybe a teaching another time more deep on it. But I think you can build a real strong biblical case that if you can look at your finances and you can't see 10% of it going out in a year, there's a good chance that there's a portion of your life that hasn't been impacted by the gospel. I'm not, I, we, don't, we don't talk a lot about this here at Life Tree, and I wouldn't build a case. I would never try to build a strong case biblically. I don't believe that I could say that 10% belongs to your local church. But we're called to minister to the poor and to the needs of the world. We're called to the advancement of the gospel in the earth, whether that's in kids' ministry down the hall and youth that happens here on Fridays and hampers that go out to you know, people in need in our neighborhoods, to missionaries that we support, or to all sorts of other wonderful places and people to give money to other than Life Tree Church. But I really believe that when the gospel starts to impact our life, our bottom line at the end of the year looks different. Our quality of life actually takes a hit, if you will. Like I think if you take the average income, let's, I, we could just work with like a lower ad, average income in Victoria. You take 10% to that, that's a family vacation. You know, like it's going to affect your life. But it comes back to this thing, does what matters to others, does it matter to me? And I wouldn't say, you can't, you can't measure how much the gospel has impacted your life just by looking at your giving and your money. Because you can be doing that thing out of religious legalism just as much as you can out of a transformed heart. So it's not all that cut and dry and simple, and, but I would leave everything I've said about that with you guys and the Holy Spirit and, and encourage you to just ask the Lord, where's my heart at with this thing called money? 
Can I connect, you know, what I'm doing with it to the, your purposes in the earth? There's a whole other message. I said, you know, we didn't go into it all, so we'll pause on that. We're bringing it back to the text we opened with, right? Verse 4 said, Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what my dad was talking about, what he shared with us right after worship, of how the, how the church advanced in the earth as people began to uh, not look out for their interests, but those of others. Making what mattered to others matter to them. There was a story that I actually heard many times from my father that was entering my mind as I was thinking on this this morning. And it's of these, the, this group of believers that we hear of historically, 18th century, the Moravians. Anybody ever heard of the Moravians? So only a few hands going up. So the Moravians were a group of believers who, who set up as a community on the property of this wealthy man in a place called Hernhunt, Germany, and they had like 24-7 prayer meetings. And there was a total missional movement that came out of those prayer meetings that went on for years and years and years. But there's this one particular story of two men, Leonard Dober and David Nitzschman, 1732, on August 25th, they're in a prayer meeting in Hernhut, Germany, and they can't shake this feeling of a call to, to, to go to where the slave trade is happening in the West Indies. And they feel this burden to bring the gospel to the slaves. And they don't know how they're going to do it, but they can't shake the sense of call. And they, they know that there's ships that go to this part of the world from Copenhagen, Denmark, and they make the trip to Copenhagen. And all along the way, they're staying with believers who are like, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? Getting all sorts of opposition and discouragement and words of wisdom and warning and caution. Saying, so you guys shouldn't be doing this. You're nuts. They arrive in Copenhagen on the 15th of September. So about three weeks later, and on October 8th, 1732, they get on a ship. And the only way they were able to do so, because they, they were asking, like, hey, can we go on? We just want to, like, preach to these people, and no one would take them. The only way they could find to actually fulfill what they felt was the call God put in their heart was to volitionally give themselves into slavery. And they went off on this ship, and they arrived in the West Indies December 7th, 1732, to bring the gospel to people they had no other way to get to but selling themselves into slavery. And, you know, maybe you hear a story like that, and, it, and it's dramatic, and, it, you know, how does that relate to my life? Like, I don't have any, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, do that. But it embodies this idea that the pain and suffering of other people is something that we're called to make matter to us. But it's not something we just do by our will. We don't just go like, oh, I'm going to make it matter more to me now. Always we need the gospel to speak to us. We need to be reminded that Jesus, king of the universe, clothed himself in humanity and came to us humbly as a servant 
even to the point of death, death on a cross for you, for me. I find it so amazing. I already said it, but I'm going to say it again, that the, that the most glorious one in the universe, when he determined to present himself to mankind, it was in this lowly form. You know, no room for him in the inn, all that stuff we remember at Christmas. Washing the feet of his disciples and dying a death he didn't deserve. This is how the glory, the greatest glory in the universe was to be displayed. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting satisfaction and joy in life. But what the gospel teaches is the path towards it is very different than what the world has taught you. The world teaches self-exaltation. Selfish ambition. Makes a big deal about it. There's whole like Instagram accounts and YouTube channels devoted to selfish ambition and the praise of it and discipling the next generation to pursue it. And the gospel says, no, no, no. The path to there is down here. That's the path that the king of the universe showed us. Entering into other people's pain and suffering. Entering into other people's need. Making what matters to them matter to you. And in hopes that, that we might have this come deeper and that the Holy Spirit may do a work in our hearts today. We're going to do what we've been doing every week the last few weeks. We're going to receive communion together. So if you don't have elements right now, put your hand up. And we'll get it to you. Please keep your hand up until you have them. So, oh, did they disappear? They're out there. They'll, they'll get there. Don't worry. There, there is a promise in this, this ordinance, this practice of communion. That there's actually a grace that comes to us. We receive a grace from God as we take part in communion. And the reason we are doing communion week after week in the Christmas season is because as we think about the coming of Jesus, the manifestation of God's glory, the word made flesh among us, the ultimate gift that he gave and the ultimate glory that he displayed is in this act on the cross. If it wasn't for the cross and all that it accomplished and all that it signified, we wouldn't make a big deal about Christmas and the coming of Jesus. So I just ask you, as we receive this together in this moment, open your heart to the Holy Spirit, making the gospel real to you. Letting the story and the truth of it touch your heart. So Jesus, we thank you that you entered in and you identified with us. 
you made our needs your own. You identified with us, even to the point of death. And as we approach Christmas Day and all, of the, all that comes with it, the joy for some, the pain for others, I ask that we would be reminded that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. Not just intellectually, not just from some idea, but actually with us. You clothed yourself in human flesh. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Christ's body given for you. Take and eat. And all of us stood guilty, Lord. You shed your blood that we might be washed clean of our sin, made new again. We thank you for that gift, Jesus. Christ's body shed for you. Take and drink. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to reflect on who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, I ask that you would make it more than just a story of the past, but a reality in our hearts by the power of your spirit in this season that we might be, like Kelly said at the beginning of the service, your hands and feet in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys be blessed and have an amazing Christmas. Please don't just rush out. Uh, say hello. And tell, see, I don't know if this is what you were just indicating to me, but I completely forgot. I just want to tell you guys, Telsey and I, our family, are going to be gone for almost a month. Um, we're leaving on Tuesday, and we're gone until the 18th of January. This is super random to throw in at the end of the service. I know. I meant, I meant to tell you guys at the beginning. But, uh, but we're going to miss you guys. We love you guys. Like I love, 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 love our community, our church. So anyway, that's it. Say hello. Connect with somebody. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.